listening to Cherokee Hills Baptist Church. If you'd like more information about CHBC or ways to get involved, visit chbcok.info. Good morning. Thank you, Devonte. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> no. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. I am really, really excited to be here. Um, I am blessed to have the opportunity to teach some on Sunday nights uh, pretty regularly as part of our regathering. We kind of rotate a lot of our staff and um, some other folks through. So that's a really, really cool opportunity to have. But I view that a lot like a Sunday school class, like just a big group of my friends hanging out. We talk about the Bible. We discuss some things, a lot of two-way stuff. So it's, it's a little different than preaching. This is really probably my first what I would call like true sermon um, here on Sunday morning. I was actually scheduled to preach for the first time this past summer um, in July, and I was really, really excited about that, crazy nervous, no less nervous this morning, so bear with me if I have a lot of pregnant pauses to collect myself. By the grace of God, we'll get through this. Um, but I was, I was scheduled to preach in July, and uh, I was really, really excited about that, but the Lord had different plans as I began to kind of plan for what I should speak about, what I should talk about, and pray through what the Lord wanted me to say. Um, he gave me some stuff that I was really, really excited to teach, but then I got a phone call, a phone call that I really had been anticipating, but really dreading. Um, you see, my mom was diagnosed with cancer a little over a year ago, about a year and a half ago now, and I was always afraid for that call that her health had steeply declined. And so the week of, the week that I was supposed to preach, that Wednesday before, I got that call. Uh, the ultimately, my dad said, if you want to be able to spend any more time with her, you have to come now. And so we did. We packed up the kids. We went. Needless to say, I did not preach that Sunday morning. Kino did, and he did an awesome job. Um, but I tell you that to tell you that the Lord is really, really good. Um, as, I, as we started to go through that process and the grieving process, um, Lord just kind of told me, that sermon that you'd been preparing for the Sunday morning, I want you to preach that at her funeral. Uh, and so I did. So I, I thought that the Lord had given me a word for here, for this time. Uh, it was really kind of an Esther moment. He had prepared me for this, for one thing that I thought was over here, but it was kind of like for such a time as this, for in order to speak and preach at her funeral. And so that was really, I guess, kind of my first sermon was for that time. But I tell you that just to say the Lord works in powerful and mighty ways that we don't always see how it's going to happen, um, but it's always good right? Uh, and I, it's a great spot for an amen. And I, I do believe that the Lord has a plan for us this morning. Um, I do believe that, that he's got a word, not, not from anything from me, but from his scripture, from his powerful word. So I'm excited to be here. Thanks for, thanks for having me. Um, if you would, open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8. We're actually going to start at the tail end of Matthew chapter 7, but chapter 8 will get you there. Um, one of my favorite things to explore is how Scripture kind of affirms itself all throughout Scripture, from beginning to end, right? So a single verse, a single passage of Scripture does not live in isolation. It does not live in a vacuum. It is all supported by all the rest of Scripture, right? That's what we talk about when we say the, the Bible is living and active and God-breathed. This whole narrative pieces together into really a single narrative of redemption from beginning to end. And there's a lot of powerful ways that, that everything connects. So we're going to explore actually three different places, 
all across Scripture, and we're going to explore how they all tie together and all form one narrative of redemption that, that I think is powerful in each and every one of our lives. We'll start here with an encounter with Jesus, which is always a great place to start. Um, always want to start with an encounter with Jesus, because that's where, that's where our Christian walk begins, right? We have an encounter with Jesus, we have faith in Jesus, um, and he saves us. So here in, at the tail end of Matthew chapter 7, Jesus has just finished what we call the Sermon on the Mount. That takes place in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. Arguably the greatest sermon ever preached um, by the greatest preacher who ever lived, right? If God comes down into the earth as a man, that's probably going to be the greatest preacher we're ever going to experience. So Jesus does that, and it's great. In verse 8, or verse 28 of chapter 7 is where we'll start. And Jesus finished these sayings. The crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as one of their scribes. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him, and behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for proof to them. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your word. God, I thank you so much for speaking to us, for sending Jesus to us. God, may we never cease to be astonished by your teaching, just as the crowds who followed Jesus was. God, fill us with the astonishment at your word. Fill us with wonder at your word, God, and ultimately change our hearts through the cleansing that your word provides. God, be with us this morning. Speak to us. God, and let us be receptive to the word that you've given. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So, we have this encounter. Jesus just comes down from the mountain. He's surrounded by this crowd of people, which is something you see all throughout the Gospels. Everywhere Jesus goes, people want to be around Jesus. Um, and, and, and so, as he's coming down, surrounded by these crowds, a leper approaches, a man afflicted with leprosy. Um, and there's a few significant things that I see in this Encounter, and we're going to kind of unpack how all of this works together. Um, first, Jesus touches this man. He reaches out and touches the man afflicted with leprosy, and that is what ultimately heals him through the power that Jesus has. But Jesus doesn't need to touch him in order to heal him. In fact, he really probably shouldn't have touched him according to the Old Testament law. Lepers were to be completely set aside, and we'll talk about a little bit about that. But even, even in the next um, miracle we see in verses 5 through 13, Jesus heals somebody from afar. It's when the centurion comes and says, I have uh, a servant who is sick. Can you please heal him? And Jesus says, I'm going to go to your house and heal him. Oh, sure, let's do this. And the centurion says, I am not worthy for you to step in my door. Can you just heal him where you are? I know you have that authority. And Jesus says, wow, that's incredible. I do have that authority. And he does. He speaks it and it happens. So Jesus doesn't need to touch this leper, but he does. The next thing I see is that uh, the cleansing was immediate. As soon as Jesus touched him, Matthew goes out of his way to say that immediately the leprosy was cleansed. It's a big deal. We're going to look here in Leviticus in a minute, and it describes a pretty lengthy process, at least a couple weeks to be cleansed from leprosy. Uh, But when Jesus did it, it was immediate. And that's important. And finally, a leper waded through these crowds to get to Jesus. We're going to look at why that's a big deal, but but the the SparkNote version, I'll give you a little teaser. Lepers aren't supposed to be in any crowds. And this leper braves the crowds, walks through the crowds to find Jesus because he knows 
that that's where his healing comes from. So what is leprosy? I did some research on this, and actually, I'm a little bit of a hypochondriac. If you ask Haley, she tells me to stay off like WebMD. So I almost convinced myself that I have leprosy just in reading about it. Uh, I don't. I promise. I'm, I'm clean. We're good. We're all good. But So, so what is leprosy? Leprosy, uh, when you see it in the Bible, refers to kind of a collection, an entire group of diseases that can affect the skin, the nerves, the blood, um, the hair even, uh, and even clothing. We'll talk about that a little bit. But so, so it's not just any one thing. So a lot of scholars debate back and forth and back and forth about what it could possibly be that leprosy, this term leprosy, is talking about. Um, we do have a modern disease called leprosy. It's also known as Hansen's disease. It's primarily a nerve disease, um, which, if you know a little bit of my history, I do struggle with a nerve disease. I have uh, a lot of um, ongoing effects from that. So it was really easy for me to, like, as I was reading through, like, what leprosy is, like, oh, my good heavens, is that? No, surely. Wait, wait a minute. It's not. We're good. We're all good. Um, so, so, so that's what the, the modern definition is. It's called Hansen's disease. It affects the nerves. It causes you to lose feeling in your uh, extremities first and, and can go everywhere. If you've known anybody who has like serious diabetes or anything like that, you know how serious of an issue losing feeling in your extremities can be because even the smallest little cut or scrape or anything can lead to something way bigger if you don't know that you need to do anything about it. Um, so that's where a lot, of the, a lot of the issues come from. It also affects blood flow. Um, so as you, you lose feeling in your extremities, you lose blood flow to your extremities, and ultimately you can lose your extremities. Not a good thing. Um, it has a very long incubation period, which means you can get leprosy and not have any symptoms for like up to 20 years. Uh, in a lot of cases, which if anybody's in the medical field, you know that's a big deal because you come in contact with a lot of people in 20 years. Like I am, I'm 30 years old. I can't even tell you how many people I've come in contact with in the last 20 years. That's just like as a kid and stuff like that. Like, so we come in contact with a lot of people. So you can really spread this disease really far before anybody even knows they're sick, um, which is in large part why the Bible instructs people to separate themselves from, uh, or to sep to, for people afflicted with leprosy to separate themselves um, in, in the Hebrew, the Hebrew word for that is serrat. Um, it really describes this, again, a whole gamut of conditions, but more so that word describes the condition of a person, not necessarily the condition of their health, but the condition of who they are and what they are. Um, and so that's a big deal. It's a big deal that this first miracle, this first healing that Jesus performs is a man with leprosy. We're going to turn back to Leviticus chapter 13. And it describes all of these details, and, and we're not going to read the whole chapter, otherwise we'd be here till 2, and I'd never get to preach again, and I'd very much like to have that opportunity someday. So, we're just going to look at the first few uh, verses, um, because the rest just kind of describes all the different ways to identify it and look at it. Um, so, I'm going to start reading in verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When a person has on the skin of his body a swelling or an eruption or a spot, and it turns into a case of leprous disease on the skin of his body, then he shall be brought to Aaron the priest or to one of his sons the priests, and the priest shall examine the diseased area on the skin of his body. And if the hair in the diseased area has turned white and the disease appears to be deeper than the skin of his body, it is a case of leprous disease. When the priest has examined him, he shall pronounce him unclean. I want to focus on that word, unclean. Just in this chapter alone, it's mentioned at least 10 times, um, in explicitly or in concept. And uncleanness doesn't refer to just the state of being dirty, of being physically dirty. 
right? It's important to note that like mowing the lawn and leprosy don't produce the same result, right? That's not the uncleanness that we're talking about here. Uh, uncleanness is an identity issue when you see it in the Old Testament. To be ceremonially unclean in this way was tantamount to death. In fact, in some ways it may have been preferable to just die than to be this unclean. Because ultimately it is separation from God. Uh, to literally be set aside from all of your people, from God, from, from everything you know and love. When you look at the different types of uncleanness in the Bible, um, Death is like the most, like if you come in contact with a dead person or, or anything kind of in that vein, that is the most unclean a person can be. The very next is leprosy. So it was basically like you might as well be dead if you had leprosy. It was ultimately a matter of citizenship. We see that a little bit in chapter 13, verses 45 and 46. Um, just a little bit later, it talks about what someone who is afflicted with leprosy should do. They're to be completely cast out of their uh, city out of their dwellings. Um, they would live in what, what is called leper colonies. They would basically take all the people who had leprosy, put them in this town away from all the people, and you know, neither seen nor heard, right? If they did have to approach anybody or they were walking on the road and somebody else was coming, it was their imperative to announce their presence. They had to wear very specific garments to show that they were unclean, and they were to yell, unclean, unclean, to tell people that they were unclean. Uh, so it was, it was a huge deal. It was an identity crisis. It was an identity issue, not just a matter of being sick. Uh, in fact, a lot of times in the Old Testament, it's even associated with being um, as like punished by God. If you had leprosy, it was like, okay, well, what did you do to make God mad? Um, and sometimes it is directly from God doing that, not just an assumption. So it's a big deal. While we're talking about unclean versus clean and, and everything that goes with that, I would like to highlight one of my personal favorite scriptures in all of Bible, all, all of the scriptures. It speaks to me on a personal level. It's Leviticus 13.40. It says, if a man's hair falls out from his head, he is bald and he is clean. So it's, it speaks to me. So don't worry. I'm, I'm clean. It's, it's, in the, it's in scripture. Um, seriously. Leprosy and uncleanness is an outward disease that affects the inward person. If we go back to verse 3 of chapter, thir of chapter 13 here, what is the determining factor of what makes this leprous disease or this skin disease unclean? It says, if, if the disease appears to be deeper than the skin in the body, then it is unclean. Why is that significant? We all have a disease that is under the skin right? We all have this disease that is deeper than the skin of our body, and that disease makes us unclean. The Bible is pretty unambiguous when it relates leprosy, this condition of the outward appearance, this condition of the skin, to sin, which is a condition of the heart. The King David, second king of Israel, knew this very well, and he was Considered a man after God's own heart, he was considered somebody who pursued God, really an example of godliness in many ways, but he made some pretty big mistakes. He committed adultery, he lied about said adultery, and in the process of that, ended up committing murder, and then lied about that for a little while until he was confronted. Um, doesn't sound like a man after God's own heart, but he was, and he was broken over his sin, which I think makes all the difference in the world. 
If you look at Psalm 51, we won't turn there. Um, I'll give you a little bit of history. That psalm is written out of the outpouring of David grieving for his sin and grieving over what he had done. In verse 3, he starts and he says, For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth and the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow." So we see this washing and making whiter than snow. That's, that's a prayer that makes a lot of sense, right? We might pray that, God, wash me, make me whiter than snow. But he says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean, which is weird. What is hyssop? Um, hyssop is a bush. It's a plant. It's in the mint family. So it's basically like a different kind of peppermint or spearmint or anything like that. Um, and it was often used for like herbal tonics and teas and stuff like that. But it's significant. Uh, because David understood that leprosy or that, that sin is an issue that affects the inward being in the same way that leprosy is an issue that affects the inward being. The other time we see hyssop used for cleaning, it's actually in Leviticus 14. So in Leviticus 13, we see this huge passage about all the different ways to identify leprosy, all the different things that it does to the body, and all the different things that we should do about it to identify it and to separate these people. We also see that bald people are clean, so that's not insignificant. Um, in Leviticus, so, so we identify the issue, we identify the problem, we identify the disease, we still need a cure. In, Levit- in Leviticus 14, we get that cure, and that's what David is referencing here. He talks about his sin, he's talking about how grieved he is and how serious the sin issue is, and he references the cure. I'll read in Leviticus 14, starting in verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, This shall be the law of the leprous person for the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall go out of the camp, and the priest shall look. Then, if the case of the leprous disease is healed in the leprous person, the priest shall command them to take for him who is to be cleansed two live clean birds and cedar wood and scarlet yarn and hyssop. And the priest shall command them to kill one of the birds in an earthenware vessel over fresh water. He shall take the live bird with the cedar wood and the scarlet and the yarn and the hyssop and dip them in, and the live bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the fresh water. And he shall sprinkle it seven times on him who is to be cleansed of the leprous disease. And he shall pronounce him clean, and he shall let the living bird go into the open field. Now you might be thinking, what in the world are we talking about? We've kind of gone all over the place. This is important. So when a person is healed of their leprosy, when they have been deemed that their skin is fine, their nerves are fine, or whatever the case is, they're still unclean. Something else has to happen. And you see this all throughout the Old Testament. Atonement has to come through the shedding of blood. So in this specific case, we see the leper, who, who is the most afflicted, basically, that a person could be, the most unclean that a living person could be. Two birds are taken for them, uh, two clean birds, two spotless sacrifices. One of them is to be killed, and their blood is to be let out into this basin filled with water. And this, this gets me excited. If it doesn't get you excited, we've, we've got some talking to do. There's a, there's a second bird. The second bird is tied up with the cedar and the, and the yarn and the hyssop that David talks about that leads to cleansing. He passes through, he passes, the, the priest would pass this bird through the blood and through the water, and then what would happen? 
the bird would be set free, and the man, the sinner, would be declared clean. Do you see the symbolism there? Do you see how this all starts to tie together? David recognized that we have a sin issue that separates us from God. In Psalm 51, verse 3, he says, I know my transgression, my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned. Talking to God, against God only have I sinned. So sin is an issue that separates us from God. Leprosy was an issue that separated people from God. But blood paid the way right? Passing through the blood paid the way. So we have a sin issue. We have a disease. We have something that that sits beneath our skin, that sits beneath our flesh, that is in our core, that separates us from God and from who God has made us to be. But there's a cure. I want to read Matthew chapter 8 again. Now that we have all of this context, now that we've laid the foundation of what it means to be a leper, what it means to be separated from God, and how big of a deal that is and what the cure is, I want to look at Jesus again. I want to look at what he does. Because it's a big deal. When Jesus came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper, someone who was untouchable, someone who was unreachable, someone who couldn't approach any other person, let alone the pure Son of God. A leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, If you will, you can make me clean. He recognizes his authority and says, You can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Not two weeks later, not three weeks later, not after the priest had assessed and then bottled him up and assessed, and not after this guy had been outcast. Immediately, Jesus made him clean. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched someone who was untouchable, and he made him clean. Two years later, this same Jesus, this same spotless sacrifice, would stretch out that same hand on a cross. And, th- and, and, and through the power of his blood, he would declare that we are clean. I will be clean, is what he said when he touched this man, and he declared us clean in the same way when he stretched out his hands. And the Bible tells us that blood and water flowed on that day. And I'm here to tell you, when you pass through that blood and when you pass through that water, you can be clean That's what it's all about, this this leprosy, this disease that we have, this sin, this curse that is deeper than our skin, that is deeper than our flesh, that separates us from God. That's, That's what Jesus died through, and that's what we get freedom from when we pass through that blood of the spotless sacrifice. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter uh, how sick you are, how far away you feel like you are. From God, it doesn't matter how much you've separated yourself, right? When we when we get in these modes of of chasing after sin and not doing what we're supposed to do, the last thing we want to do is be surrounded by a community of people who are doing the right thing, right? It just reminds us that we're doing the wrong thing, um, and we think that that's the better option is to just separate ourselves and go go do our own thing. We'll come back when we want. It doesn't matter how far you've put yourself away from God or how much you've ostracized yourself. You can be clean. It's easy. It's too easy to feel like we're too dirty, like we've gone too far. I'm not really a tidy person. Uh, if you've ever been into my office, first, I apologize. Uh, 
It's a mess. But, and, and it's not that I don't want cleanliness or that I don't want to be tidy or organized or clean. I try, and if I get it to a clean spot, I can keep it there for a little bit, but the first time something goes like amiss, the first time something gets out of place, I pretty much lose all hope, and I just let it go. It's the same reason I don't wash my car, right? As soon as I wash my car, it rains, and I'm like, well, that was... That's point. I'm never doing that again. You know, uh, that that that's how we get with our sin. When we sin, it's like, man, I don't know why I try to be righteous. I'm too dirty now. I've already done this. I've already done that. How could it get any worse? How could I be any worse? I may as well just keep doing it. Um, it's too easy to get in that mode. But what this teaches us is that we don't have to be defined by that. Right? Sin is an identity issue. But a lot of times we make our identity our sin. Does that make sense? Instead of making Christ our identity, instead of making the gospel the center of our identity, we bound everything up in this sin that we leave around and that we hang or let hang around, and, and it clutters everything up, and we think, you know, we're not clean. We may never be clean. I may as well just stay where I am. But that's not how it's supposed to be. That's not how God created it to be. The Bible tells us that the people were amazed at Jesus' teaching because he spoke as one with authority. All too often, we, and I'm speaking primarily to myself, right? This is a sermon for me, and if you guys happen to hear it, I hope it's good for you too. Um, but I'm preaching to me first and foremost that I let, my sin, I let me be the authority over my sin, right? I let me, I let, I let myself like rest in that sin and think that I, I'm the one who says what I can and can't be because of my sin. Because I've done X, because I've done Y or this or that or the other, I must therefore be defined as that. Right? This person, we, we call him a leper in the scripture, but he is not a leper. At this moment, he becomes a child of God. And the same thing is true for me. I am not someone who who has done this, or I'm not a person who has done that. I'm a child of God because Jesus let his blood out on the cross and he stretched out his hand and he touched each and every one of us who have faith in him and said, I will be clean. And we can be clean. For more information about Cherokee Hills Baptist Church, visit us online at chbcok.com.